there is real evidence there that there is a very big upturn in demand. We think there's the same number of people who want to go skiing, if not more. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. Skiing and snowboarding. That's where we're at this week. Well, not necessarily actually doing it ourselves, but thinking about it, dreaming about it. In this new COVID world, after what for many will have been a two-year layoff from our sport, the question is, will we be able to get back to it soon? There's a huge pent-up demand for slow sports out there, and hopefully, for winter 21-22, things will return to some semblance of normality, particularly in Europe. To get a snapshot of the overall ski situation worldwide, I caught up with London-based industry expert Craig Burton. Craig, welcome to our podcast. Now, you're the CEO of a specialist travel agency, Ski Solutions, and you deal with all kinds of inquiries from people around the world who want to go skiing. And at no cost to them, I might add, you arrange their holidays, everything from flights and transfers to hotels or chalets, and even ski guides and lift tickets, childcare, and all the difficult bits of organising a ski vacation. What is the ski situation in the world at present? Can I go skiing? Wow, good question. It's pretty tricky, isn't it? I mean, certainly from a sort of Northern Hemisphere perspective, we're in the middle of our summer. It is possible to go skiing. As we know, the glaciers are open. I know Val has been open recently, and the high glaciers of the likes of Zermatt, Chavinia are all skiing. Uh, can we get there as Brits is another question. It's been tricky, and that's that's really the legacy of the winter we've had. Southern Hemisphere, I'm not, I'm not quite so clear. I assume down in Australia and New Zealand, they are all skiing, and and enjoying the season. Well, they're just getting going, really, I think, as far as I can gather. New Zealand's getting very excited because Australians can now travel to New Zealand and normally they make up, I think, in Queenstown around 40%, if I'm right, about 40% of the winter clientele. And this year they're hoping to have a a far bigger figure than that for obvious reasons because the Australians are the only people apart from New Zealanders who can ski because the frontiers are closed to other people. But they've, they've had the hottest June ever, I think, but it's chilled down now. And I think that sounds quite exciting if, if you happen to be in New Zealand at the moment. And I think the same with Australia. They've, they've had uh, some good snowfalls, I think. And uh, you can ski in, uh, in several resorts now. But now, are we going to get a proper ski season in Europe next winter, this coming winter? Well, that is literally the million billion dollar question, really, for the industry, not just from our perspective, looking as an outbound operator from the UK, but obviously the destinations, principally in Europe and North America, where the density of skiers exist. I mean, we certainly look more hopefully than we did last year. We have got a viable exit from COVID that we believe in and can see crystallizing into what, certainly as we look at it, It's sort of all or nothing in some regards in that if we can operate this winter, a sort of viable season from December through to April, it will probably be the biggest winter that we certainly will have had on record. And indeed, the same for an awful lot of operators and destinations. The 
demand to ski is very apparent and is real. So if we can operate, it will be a magnificent winter in that regard. I think that's very true. Certainly the pent up demand seems to be quite extraordinary. But the landscape of the ski industry, certainly in Britain and in the rest of Europe, has changed dramatically in the last few years, hasn't it? You need to consider what's happened with Brexit, which I won't go into detail here, but it's made it kind of difficult for Brits to go skiing. It's became very difficult indeed. And then we sort of got COVID on top. So what we've seen, I think you're right in saying, is that change in the number of tour operators who would normally take people skiing and, of course, the number of flights. Yeah, COVID and Brexit for sort of twin twin evils as such for tour operators, outbound tour operators from the UK have certainly created quite a sort of toxic environment in which to try and operate at present. That said, the sort of manifestation of this for British skiers at least is that there's a change in the accommodation mix that's available to them for their holidays, the traditional catered chalet holiday, particularly at the sort of lower to mid mid-end of the market has reduced in terms of capacity quite significantly. If not almost disappeared, by my reckoning, something like 80% of UK tour operators, and they used to be, in some years ago, they used to be uh, 50 or 60 of them. Now they're reduced to just a handful. And they really changed, haven't they? Those that haven't gone out of business have changed their modus operandi completely. They have. You're absolutely right, both the volume of the products and also the pricing that's available there. I mean, the catered chalet, if you sort of wind back 10 years or so, was often at a kind of entry price point for for a lot of skiers to come and discover the joy of being in the mountains. That's just not possible. If you want to go and stay in a catered chalet, you are going to pay for that this year because the supply is much reduced. And actually, the chalets that are still there are are more at the sort of upper mid-end of the market rather than what we might have called the cheap and cheerful end. But that doesn't mean there's not options available. I mean, we believe in a seeing, you know, the demand from skiers to ski in Europe and North America from from the UK at least is undiminished. We think there's the same number of people who want to go skiing, if not more, because of what's happened with the sort of missed season that we've had. So they're going to have to take a different type of accommodation to ski, but we believe they'll still ski. So this is apartments, this is hotels, locally run, but I think we'll we'll see a lot more British visitors in the next season. But travel is a problem, isn't it? Traditionally, the, the UK market has been slightly dependent upon the number of charter flights that there are from the UK to the Alps, particularly to, to France. And that number of charter flights, I mean, they've almost disappeared, haven't they? I mean, the number of tour operators now who offer a package of ski accommodation, food, flights and transfers, they've almost disappeared. Yeah, that's certainly true, Peter. I think what we have have seen, though, and I think the sort of summer short haul market has proved this, is that there are plenty of aircraft out there and there are airlines prepared to put those planes on routes that have got demand from customers. So as long as the ability to operate is there and the demand is there, we feel that there will be enough air capacity to get people out to the mountains. The, the likes of the EasyJets, the British Airways, the Jet 2s, they will all turn capacity. Winter is a is a low period for travel overall. There are no lack of aircraft and there are no lack of airlines wanting to put aircraft onto profitable routes. So we don't think there'll be a, a sort of constraint in that regards. If the demand's there, the aircraft will be laid on to fly those routes. We're, we're pretty confident about that. And we've seen it, you know, when, when Portugal opened up as a green list destination for that very narrow window back in May, the amount of capacity that flooded into those routes to Portugal in a very short period of time was quite remarkable. British Airways, I think, went from having sort of two flights a day out to Faro to over 10 flights a day. And that all happened in very short order. And I think the same will happen with winter. If, if winter is viable, as we expect it to be, 
the airlines will want to service those routes. They're desperate for revenue. And hence, I think whilst it might not necessarily be on a traditional charter flight, there are operators and agents out there who will dynamically package with accommodation and you, you will still be able to take that package as such. Yes, I think there, there are just a very few, I was going to say a handful, but actually I can only think of two at the moment, of tour operators, ch- traditional chalet tour operators who are using charter flights for this winter. As a result, they are almost full already with accommodation for the winter. I mentioned one by name, Lusky, which is a, a Yorkshire-based uh, operation. It goes to various resorts in France, to I think uh, Courcheval, Val d'Isère and Latania. And they, they, they claim to be 78% full for the season. And we're in July, you know, this is a figure they'd expect to have in just November, December. Quite right. I mean, yes, and that is the case with all of the chalet operators. You know, I mean, we find ourselves in a similar position. I mean, that's partly because of the obviously the hangover from this winter. We've got an awful lot of clients who've, who've rolled over bookings to next year. They're desperate to go. They they trust us. We've got a good relationship with them. They're comfortable in doing that. And then add on to that the sort of wave of new bookings that we saw come through February through to May. It was a very strong period for bookings outbound for ski, because at that point we had this lost winter, but equally so Brits were unable to viably book an awful lot of summer trips because of the restrictions. So actually people piled into winter and we saw about 150% of the bookings we would usually expect to have at this time of the year for the winter ahead. There will be capacity issues, particularly on peak dates. Yes, certainly. If you want to travel at February half term or over Easter or Christmas and New Year, you need to really get on with it, don't you? Yeah, for sure. I I mean, and that's looking at all accommodation types. I mean, there are not a lot of catered chalets left for half term and New Year. Across other product types, there's more choice. And like I say, I don't see the flying being a big issue. I think there will be enough air capacity to service demand, but it will be in the premium resorts where there'll be challenges. What about price? The airlines don't want to run at uh, at a loss, do they? Prices for the key dates are already high and will get higher, I imagine. Yeah, you're right. The charter model would often see if, if there was still product available closer to departure, the price would come down. The scheduled flying model is completely the opposite to that. Usually, as you get closer to departure, the price will actually be higher and it will be scheduled flying. We'll be relying on much more service this winter. And so, yeah, the early bird does tend to get the worm, so to speak. So if I'm an American and I want to come skiing in Europe, are you the guy to talk to? Well, we've got a very international audience at uh, Ski Solutions and we've got access to over 600 different hotels across the Alps, across a very wide breadth of destinations. And these are suppliers and partners we've worked with for a for a long, long time. We've all suffered the pain of the last 16 months together and we'll all hopefully see the, the so those relationships crystallise into happy skier visits this winter. Well, one of the problems I come across regularly is to, in the US in particular, who say, I'd love to go skiing in Europe, but I don't know how to go about it because I, I only know the names of resorts sort of vaguely and they're not always the resorts that we would think of in Europe as being the ones to go to. How do I go about it? What do I do? How, how do I find out what these resorts are and, and book a holiday? Yeah, I mean, we operate in that regards what we consider old school values. Talk to us. We've got a team. We've been around over 30 years now. The philosophy is around being the experts, not hiding behind email or whatever it might be. The end of the phone line is a true expert who's been to those resorts. They've eaten in the restaurants. They've probably danced on the tables in the bars after a few <laughs> uh, few drinks. And we know where to go. And we know there's hidden gems as well sometimes that might be a bit off the beaten track. 
Say you're simply saying, if I'm sitting in, in Colorado or, or in Houston or wherever it may be, I simply Google the time in London, make sure it's nine to five in daylight and do the old, old fashioned thing, pick up the telephone and give you a ring. Yeah, or um, drop us an email and we'll arrange a time to give you a call. We've got guys on live chat, um, 9am till 6pm at the moment, UK time, but we work outside of those hours. The important thing for us is around getting that sort of human connection so that we can really get a good idea of what you're looking for, what's important to you on a vacation, what do you need, do you need childcare, do you need to be beside the slopes, is it very important to drink a very good bottle of wine at lunchtime or not. But that all shapes the assessment that we will make of the needs that you've got. Because I think a lot of people in America, sticking with that for a minute, don't realize that actually it's really economical to fly to Europe. I have a, a small group of uh, clients I ski with every year, and they come at Thanksgiving from New York City. And they say, look, you know, they're passionate skiers. They say, look, we could uh, we could fly to Colorado and we can we can ski then. It's expensive. It's a hassle. It's really difficult. Whereas we get a, a, a Swiss flight to uh, Geneva. We hire a car. We're in Val d'Isere within a few hours. We have a great week skiing. And at the end of the last day we uh, get in the car and we drive back to Geneva and fly back to New York City and yeah. it costs us about half what it would cost if we went to the Rockies that may yeah. sound silly but that's the way it works yeah I can believe that and look you know we all want to see that transatlantic travel corridor opening up as soon as as, as, as possible and do you think that's going to happen soon now Ah, uh, look, I, I, I think there's a very uh, marked change in policy from the UK government in terms of its its approach to travel. We've we've been under the, the severest of restrictions for some time, but we're seeing the first steps in the UK coming through now in early July. We also have a business called Wilderness Scotland and Wilderness Ireland as part of the group. They they predominantly service North American visitors who are coming to the UK to bike and hike in the Highlands. We're we're watching this very very closely. And our, our working assessment at the moment, we will see some transatlantic travel back end of this summer. And certainly, I think for this winter, we're very hopeful that there will be a, a normal flow of traffic across the Atlantic. Can Brits go skiing in Japan again, you think, this winter? Well, good question. Uh, again, our assessment is that we would assume that that will be possible. I, I, mean, I mean, certainly Brits going to North America, and we've seen very, very strong demand, um, particularly to Canada. One of the trends we've seen in, in bookings for the last few months has been this, this desire to sort of go a bit bigger than usual, spend a bit more, go a bit further, make it a really, really memorable trip. And we've certainly seen some of those North American destinations trending. In fact, Whistler's our, our top selling destination at the moment, which is quite remarkable, actually, given that Europe's usually where the biggest sort of base of travellers are, are wanting to go to. But there is real evidence there that there is a very big upturn in demand. And if I'm living in Tokyo or Kyoto or wherever, can I contact you and find me a holiday in Europe? Absolutely. Again, a, a sort of truly international dimension for, from our perspective. We can work with you on all of the components, the, the air, the land, the, the sort of in-resort experience, you know, the guiding, the ski school, the lunch reservations, whatever it might be. It's a true concierge service. So, yeah, absolutely. If I'm from another country and I want to go to a British-run chalet in the Alps, I can do that, presumably? Yeah, absolutely. Again, demand issues notwithstanding. Um, yeah, absolutely. We've we've got access to to very broad breadth of product when it comes to chalets. Actually, it's a we work with over fifty different operators. A lot of them sort of smaller independents that you know generally at the sort of upper luxury end of the market who might have two or three chalets in a 
particular resort, but offering very high levels of service that we've been out, we've seen for ourselves, we're, we're, we're comfortable with the quality. So yeah, and that, that that market's still there, Peter, despite everything that's happened, there is still a, a good number of top-end chalet options that are available. Yeah, we, we should just explain here what is meant by the top-end British chalet. Without going into great detail, Britain invented the so-called chalet holiday, where you go to a, a, a catered chalet in the Alps, which is run by usually by UK staff or international staff. Rather than staying in a five-star hotel, it may well be better to go and stay in a five-star chalet where you'll get the thing you can't get in the best, even the best five-star hotel, you can't get that level of personal service. If you're dealing with just eight or 10 or 12 clients, obviously you're giving them a very special level, but you pay for it, don't you? You do. I mean, I mean, we've seen the the sort of quality level in terms of chalets grow grow exponentially over the last 10, 10 years or so. And many of these now come with with all the trappings, you know, driver service, you name it, Peter. Often they might come with ski guides attached to the chalets to sort of look after you in the in the mountains as well. Michelin starred chefs and it is a truly wonderful experience. But what sort of thing are we talking of in cost? What's the sort of bracket here at the top end? I mean, at the top end, you know, chalets for, for maybe 10 to 12, that might be a typical size, five or six bedrooms. You might rent for anything up to £150,000. For a week. But you've got to spread it from £10,000 upwards. There is, so to speak, something for everyone as, as such. And again, using a good agent who, who, who've been there and seen it. Peter, I know you've written about this, but there have been a number of rogue websites porting to be luxury chalet X in Courchevel. We've seen and known of customers who've transferred money over to these these kind of illegal, fraudulent websites. You raised a very, very important point there because these rogue websites are a curse that are out there. Some of them look really good. Oh, yeah. you know, and I, I've been in this business a long time and I've looked at one or two of them and thought, oh, I think the one, this one's real. Then I check it out and you realise that it's, it's completely fake. So I would say to anyone out there trying to... Uh, check out uh, some luxury website that is offering really low priced holidays in wonderful sounding chalets just be a bit careful uh, we're always welcome to anyone to just send us an email and i'll tell you whether it's real or not send it to me send it to peter at actionpacktravel.com and i'll come back straight back to you and tell you whether that's a real website or not it's that old mantra as well peter if it, if it looks too good to be true <laughs> too good um, to be true is not true it's simple. You get what you pay for. You you see this wonderful holiday in Zermatt for a few dollars for a week in a luxury chalet. No, you don't. You, Craig, when did you actually last ski yourself, personally? So my last skiing was in Comaia in, in Italy at the end of January 2020. So sort of six weeks before things shut down. Yes, that was the last time I was on skis. Within the group I operate in, um, we've got a base up in the Highlands, actually, in Scotland, just outside of Aviemore. And a lot of the team there had a fantastic winter in Scotland, which had very, very good snow. You had to earn your turns up there this winter because not a single lift ran. But there are some good days still to be had on the mountain. But uh, Well, I, I think that's very hard. true everywhere that last winter. I mean, I've got friends in France who constantly sent me pictures of them skiing beautiful powder. But they did have to earn their turns because there were no lifts open in France last winter. A, a different case, of course, in Switzerland, wasn't it? Very true. Well, I know of one operator in particular, a British operator, the sort of makeup of their customer base was very international. So not really British focused, more sort of Russians, European focused. And they actually operated a reasonable season because... Uh, they I, I should explain that, that uh, Switzerland decided to keep its lifts open during the last season throughout. And in Verbier and in Zermatt and in lots of other resorts, Sassfe, everything went on relatively normal, albeit there weren't many foreign visitors. 
exactly if you could if you could get there whether that be by car or you know by air but whether it be private jet or from a destination that the swiss were allowing visitors from the, the uk was not one of them there were good days on the mountain to be had i'm just um feel feel sick i was not a part of it <laughs> Well, similarly in Austria, which has uh, closed its frontiers and only locals were allowed to ski. If you were a Brit or an American who was staying there, you weren't in theory allowed to ski, although I know quite a few people who got away with it. But they checked your nationality you know, when you, when you were buying a lift pass and things. But for the locals, they had the best winter ever. They were, all the lifts were open. Because they were subsidized by the Austrian government and uh, wonderful snow conditions uh, and completely empty slopes. Fantastic. Yeah. And I, I, I understand, Peter, again, I... I I'm not as close to it as maybe you are and some of our listeners here, but it sounds like the US domestically had a had a very, very good winter. Canada had a, a big surge towards the end and closed its lifts early, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Just as the snow was looking um, quite, quite spectacularly good, I understand as well. Greg Burton, thank you very much indeed for appearing on the show. And we wish you the very best of luck with this winter that's coming. May it be as wonderful as we hope. Peter, thanks for having me. It's been a delight. If you want further information on any resort, or indeed you plan to book a vacation to destinations in Europe, North America, Japan, and elsewhere in the world, contact Craig and his team at Ski Solutions, www.skisolutions.com. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. And I am you.